Hi, how are you doing? Brandon, hi, I'm well. Good. How are you? Good. All is good. Hey, everyone. So uh, welcome to Industry Talks with Fortech. Brandon Soraka here, CEO and founder of uh, Fortech. Today, we have on a special guest, Amber Armstrong. So Amber is the manager, communications and stakeholder relations at Mercer International. Amber, would you mind starting off telling us a bit about yourself and, and uh, how you got into the industry and, and some of the roles that you've had um, that led you to where you're at today? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Um, I want to thank you, first of all, for inviting me. I, I appreciate what you do on behalf of our industry and in, and in Northern Alberta. I think it's pretty commendable and it's informative. So I wanted to join you when I had the invitation. I'm going to start first, though, by... Um, you know, doing a land acknowledgement with regards to being and working on Treaty 8 territory in Northern Alberta. And that's where both Brandon and I are located. Um, we like to acknowledge our Indigenous people, our First Nations, our Métis and our Inuit peoples who have lived and traveled and gathered on these lands. It's really important to us because we're in partnership um, in forestry with our Indigenous communities and they are very important rights holders. And yes, yeah, so I just wanted to give a give an acknowledgement to where we are and why we are where we at, where we're at. So, um, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, so, so Brandon, so with regards to my position, so I, I work for Mercer International. We're a, a multinational forest-based company. We have operations in Canada. We have a pulp mill in Alberta, a pulp mill in British Columbia. We have two large pulp mills in Germany. We have one of the world's largest sawmills also in Germany. We have just acquired, just in 2021, uh, North America's largest CLT, which is a cross-laminated timber facility in Spokane, Washington. Um, we do you know, pulp, we do lumber, we do bioproducts, bioenergy, and I'm really fortunate to work for this company and I, I love the industry. Um, a little bit about my background. Um, I have a master's degree in communications. I have a strong background with 17 years in human resources. Indigenous consultations was a big part of my portfolio. I used to work as an environmental investigator um, for the Alberta government. Um, I worked for the Court of Appeal and I was, I'm actually a court reporter in my younger years. So I'm all over the place. The one thing that they all have in common though is the connection to people and communications. So that's what I'd like to talk to you about today. Awesome. Well, thank you for the introduction. And uh, which mill do you guys have in BC? I'm not familiar. Sure. We have uh, in Castlegar, BC, we have, it's, it's called Mercer Selgar. So it is a, uh, you know, a single line. It's a softwood uh, pulp facility. Approximately 400 people work at Mercer Selgar and yeah, it's beautiful. Like what an incredible location. So, but it's a, it's a straight line. Our Mercer Peace River pulp mill in Peace River, Alberta is actually a, a dual species. We do hardwood and softwood. So we have uh, some great opportunities where our pulp at, from all our facilities actually goes all over the world. So supply yeah. and demand. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so on communication, what do you think are some of the myths miscommunications or uh, um, misunderstandings in the forest industry that you've seen? Uh, you know, I think it comes from different people's values and beliefs on, on what matters to them. So 
you know, I think there's a some thoughts with regards to that forest companies such as ours and, and yours and others, you know, are there to, you know, take resources as to as opposed to we harvest resources, you know, no different than a farmer. Like our jobs and our future rely on the fact that we have a continuous supply of our resources, which are trees. So no different than a farmer, you know, we, we invest in science and technologies to ensure that we have a healthy stock, that we do, you know, strong land management with water, with species. So I think there's a, the biggest misconception is that we harvest or log the way we did in the 60s and 70s and even the 80s, but the world has changed the way we do business in every industry, but maybe none more so than in the forest industry. So that's, that's probably the biggest misconception. And it's challenging. And I'm sure like you must find that in, like when you're out in the community or when you're you know, speaking to different stakeholders, like are they aware of the innovations and the advancements and the investments that we're involved with? I think, I think you're right. I think there's been a, a large miscommunication um, of like traditional, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, like you mentioned, versus the way that we do it now. I mean, I'm involved firsthand and there's so many things that we take into consideration um, when we go to harvest an area. And uh, I, you're right, I think that there can be a lack of understanding of that. And I think it's getting better um, as time progresses. I think people are starting to realize at least people, when I talk to them, I, I understand, like I, I, I start to try to educate them on things like how, how harvesting can mimic forest fire or um, <clears throat> how you can manage for different types of species that are at risk um, through harvesting practices. Um, I know that the lack of fire on the land base is, is uh, a big thing since humans came into um, North America and uh, with lack of fire, there's there has to be something like that's why um, potentially stands get overaged and, and killed by beetle and and uh, there's a lot of complications that can come from even just the lack of fire. So I think I think I think there's a, a lot of people. I know a lot of foresters are very passionate about their um, them about the industry and and uh, yeah. and and what we do exactly um, as a career. And um, so I think as foresters start to become <clears throat> mindful of educating the public when they're planning to do operations, the better it'll get um, consistently over time. You know, and I think it comes, and it does come down to communications. You know, we always say, we talk about forestry and foresters, but, you know, behind the forester, behind those, you know, the work boots, behind, you know, the coveralls and the tape and the hard hats, you know that 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 are out on the cut block or that are out on the landscape you know there is a suite of people that are from engineers to you know database managers to you know silviculturalists like there's there's so many specialties that go into the planning um before we even get out onto the land um but how do you communicate that to the public because what the public sees like you were talking about fires right fires are a natural disturbance, right? Like their nature wants the fires to happen. And there's a reason for that. And it's renewal and it's regeneration and, you know, it refreshes an environment. But 
fire to the average human is something to be feared. And it's so that we manage it, like you were saying. So when you manage something to the point where you're actually destroying what you're trying to protect, it's a hard message because people, they'll drive through, let's say British Columbia, you know, um, and you see those, those down the highway on the sides, you see these black charred forests and it's painful. Like it, it hurts to see something so beautiful, so affected. But what people don't understand when they're driving by it is the forest is renewing itself, just not on a timeline that is visually understood. Yeah. Like, you know, that's, that's what I would say that like I go back to communications is about understanding people's values and beliefs and people value beauty and they, they, they value an intact landscape. But what they don't understand is we can help the management of it through science and data. Yeah, definitely. So, I, you know, I don't know. And, and I guess, you know, we in communications and forestry, for instance, oftentimes I think like foresters, maybe like yourself and, and definitely many of the people I work with, we use language, I think, incorrectly. Like you and I, before we even started chatting um, today, you know, we can talk about forestry and we can use the language and the lingo of yeah. you know, wet area mapping and LIDAR. And, you know, we can talk about all of these forest-based concepts. And then you say to the average person, you know, <laughs> like LIDAR is, LIDAR is gonna, you know, we're gonna have these maps and we're gonna use the GPS coordinates. That, and people just, they get lost in the language because we should be talking to people in a way that they understand. Right. Instead of always saying sustainability, like forestry is sustainable. You know, let's put it into the language of like a story where people understand when we say sustainable, let's talk about the first, the first day where we, we decide there's a forest and, and we need to have the trees, but we don't want to take all the trees. You know, we want to take on just enough that they'll come back. And then we can give proof, like data in those kind of conversations. Let's make it something that's understandable and encourage questions. You know, start basic. And when people understand the basics, keep asking them, um, you know, I guess keep asking them, what more questions do you have? And keep walking them through that instead of pushing data at them. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. I do know that forestry tends to have a lot of acronyms and uh, a lot of, um, yeah, like you mentioned, just a lot of terminology that's not known to the general public. And uh, I can definitely say that when I talk to people from the general public, there's been instances where I'll start saying that kind of stuff and you're right, they just get lost and don't understand. So yeah, and so, um, so what happens So if, if you and let's say you and I, it's like, it would be like you and I going to the bank, maybe not you, it would be like me going to the bank and having, you know, there's nothing worse than sitting across from somebody who is, you know, talking about stocks and investments and they're throwing language and you want to move this into this portfolio and I'm lost. And when I get lost, I shut down and I get defensive because they're speaking to me in a language that I don't understand, you know, and because I don't understand it, I, re I resist it. So I don't take that stock idea or I don't take that financial advice because I actually don't have a clue what they're talking about. And then when I ask them to explain it, 
they keep explaining it in the same language. They can't break it down for me. Yeah. And I, and I think that's what we need to do in forestry is break it down and simplify it. Not because the people we're talking to aren't intelligent. It's because they haven't, they're not professional in our industry. Yeah, definitely. I had the same communication issue when I was in Spain when they were talking Spanish. <laughs> right? That's exactly it. Go to, go to, go to uh, another country or go spend time with another culture that doesn't speak in your own dialect and you yeah. start to panic and you're just like, and you'll go to what you know. That's the point. When we speak in a language that, they, that our publics don't understand, they'll revert back into what they know and what they know comes from you know their values their beliefs their community their education whoever's influenced them so they may have grown up thinking forestry is all about clear cutting it's you know it's the lorax right we're getting we're biggering and biggering and we're taking and we're taking and the future is not going to be not i'm going to use the word sustainable but the future is not secure so we need to stop we need to stop that language and say let's spend some let's spend some time and talk about it one piece at a time until the puzzle starts to make sense. Yeah. It's, like it's, uh, and do you think, do you ever think that sometimes in our industry, we, we don't want to have the, the difficult conversations about what we do, that we don't want it, we don't encourage being challenged, that we resist it? Do you think we do that as a whole? Uh, I think it depends on the person, but. I, I think that uh, sometimes people are so used to dealing with it in their career that maybe they just don't want to take the time to educate or they're, they, right. they just don't want to put the effort in or maybe they're, maybe they're a person that's more reserved and not as confrontational. So they'll just kind of step back and just not say much. Um, I've definitely seen instances of that in the industry for sure. Sure. And that's, and I think you're, you're right. I think it's, you know, how to have difficult conversations um, without it having go in the wrong direction. And I always think there's a, there's a really simple trick for that, for anything, whether it's talking about forestry, which can be difficult if you have somebody who, you know, um, has really hard questions, um, or in your personal life, if you have someone who wants to challenge you, whether on Facebook or social media or in person. And the best way to have a difficult conversation is to be curious curious about the other person's point of view in forestry if somebody says um, you're not we're not a sustainable industry instead of defending it and coming up with well we are because we we do this we map we plan we check you know we we have steps you know for the you know one five ten twenty two hundred years we have plans that that's not convincing what is convincing is asking them why they think that. And then when they say, well, this is what I know, or this is what I've heard, address that. And then be curious again, if they resist your message, right? And just the curiosity takes away anger. You can't be angry when you're curious and you can't be defensive when you're curious. So it's a trick that I think a lot of people could utilize when they're talking about forestry. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you think, you know, and when we're talking about communications too, like communications in, in any industry, but in our industry, you know, there are, there, are, there are 
hot spots. There are things that, you know, one year it's really important. And this is what everyone's talking about. Like forest fires is a really important one. And um, water can be a really important one. It can be the conversation of caribou. Um, it can be, you know, the climate change, carbon stores, greenhouse gas. Right now for you, what do you think that, that most of our publics are really focused on? What are your thoughts on that? In the forest industry? Yeah. Um, I know in British Columbia, a big hot topic is, is old growth forests. Yeah. Um, that's a major thing going on right now. <clears throat> so that's one. Um, I think that, yeah, that's the one that comes to top of mind for me right now in the industry. Yeah. I think, you know, globally and definitely it's starting to impact all of our operations and it has, you know, for the last many years is climate change. You know, it really is when you start seeing, you know, the fires and the floods and um, the impact that we're, many of our communities and, and countries are experiencing. You know, when we look at the forests um, as, a, as a carbon store, you know, it's where, you know, we can, we, wood stores carbon and yeah. I think that that's a big one how forestry can help with um, the climate change with climate change I'm just going to say with climate change if understood and managed through you know whether it's cross laminated timber you know and, and building with wood and utilizing wood or you know again managing our forest but I think climate change is is really going to be the umbrella and everything yeah. else will come underneath that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, in regards to carbon, like we've been approached to do carbon measuring projects and, right. and things like that. It's starting to become a lot more car uh, common um, as well with private land, um, different types of uh, whatever offsets and things that, that uh, can happen um, and starting to get a lot more government traction and things like that too. So. I definitely see it as uh, you're right as, a, as sort of the bigger uh, change that, that's coming in industry for sure. I think so, and, you know, and I think you know what a lot of people need to understand is where there is an issue, there's an opportunity, right? There's there is always, um, you know, by analysis and a way that we can improve where we're at in any situation. So when you look at climate change, for instance you know, we have to look at our resources, like, you know, so we understand that forests are a strong carbon store, old growth or, or, or boreal, for instance. So when you look at that, the opportunity for the forest industry has been about investment. It's about working with our governments and our partners and, you know, industry leaders, associations, um, like we have the Forest Products Association of Canada, we have the Alberta Forest Products Association in Alberta, um, you know, globally, you know, we're addressing um, climate change as an opportunity to have solutions. And those solutions can be, you know, the utilization of, of you know, um, biomass, for instance, you know, taking the biomass, there's a business opportunity, um, you know, bioenergy, you know, utilizing, again, a renewable resource, you know, to offset the need to have such a strong usage on fossil fuels. You know, we want to change our future, but we still want to, we still understand that our future is going to require energy. Um, it's still going to require products 
to give us you know, everything from paper and tissue to building products. So how are we gonna do that? It really does come down to what is truly renewable and then how do we take that renewable resource, the forests, um, so that our users, our indigenous communities, you know, our recreational communities, our global communities still have that in that forest for the future use. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that there's, I've been seeing over the last few years, a lot of technology being utilized to just make things a lot more efficient and, yeah. um, and utilizing wood and in, in different types of products. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of different uses that are, that are coming out of just technology and engineering and things of, of wood products. And, um, so it's starting to be able to be used for more than just like traditional, you know, two by fours and stuff. Like there's a lot more wood products that are being developed consistently. And a lot of it is with waste, um, that normally would be burnt. Um, there's a lot of people using that for power using it for different types of, yeah. of things. I mentioned earlier um, before we started the call, just that we're working on a project right now where we're actually um, planning to utilize wood chips. So we're logging, uh, utilizing the merch timber to put up um, saw log and, and pulp. And then the tops are actually gonna be chipped and uh, <clears throat> we're gonna be implementing um, through scientific studies, the proper ratio to of, of food to put in with a, a specific food type to put in with the chips for the cattle to eat. So um, we're looking at doing 4,000 tons of chip uh, mixed with specific, uh, I don't know exactly what they're planning to put in, in with, with chips to make it palatable for cattle, but um, they have done some scientific studies, this group that we're working with, and, and they're going to be doing that. So that's a great example of, you know, utilizing the resources best as you can. It's local to site, so yeah. there's going to be no trucking costs. Um, the areas are either fenced or going to be fenced, um, so they're able to come in, mix that off. Um, it's going to be this year. It's going to be cheaper due to the price of feed. Um, so that's just a really good example of something that we've been working on recently that yeah. um, normally yeah. would have been overlooked, and it's it's a bit of science and technology and a bit of um, thinking outside the box and, and utilizing available forest resource, so. And I guess that's it. Like we look at in, in the pulping process, you know, we have a lot of, we have a number of pulp mills in Alberta, global, we have a lot of pulp mills. It is really understanding waste is an opportunity. Like I was saying earlier, everything's an opportunity. Waste is an opportunity and full utilization of our initial resources. So when you put the two together, you can come up with um, like ideas, like you were saying, wood chips that can go into cattle feed. You know, we have um, at the back end of the pulping process, we have uh, like, an, like a sludge. It's, you know, if you can imagine a big swimming pool through a, a sludge and it's, you know, we have 95% of the water in a pulp mill is actually recycled and reused and returned to, um, you know, the, the original stream that it came out of. It's clean, it's the right temperature, and it's heavily mandated and monitored through, um, you know, environmental certifications. But part of um, the end process is, yeah, it's this, this, this effluent, this sludge. And what do we do with it? So before we used to take it out of this big swimming pool, put it in a truck, and we truck it and we would burn it. It was, it was burnt. Well, that's not a great utilization of, of that resource. First of all, you know, your, these emissions, these 
you know, you're affecting the air and it's something we didn't want to do. Um, and we didn't invent what I'm about to talk about, but the opportunity was understanding what was in that sludge and what was in that sludge was nitrogen. And nitrogen, to anybody who is a farmer, um, is a fertilizer. And what do fertilizers do? It makes the soil rich um, in terms of the nutrients. So what, what we did was in Mercer Peace River, for instance, and it was an award-winning um, process, environmental, we won an environmental award for it. We created a biosolid where we took this pool, the sludge out of this pool into trucks we had farmers um, who wanted to have this, this fertilizer on their field. We would apply it to their field. We would monitor their field. Um, and what it did was there was exponential increases in their, in their yields. And they had certain types of crops they could only grow on those fields, for instance. But the opportunity was really understanding, here's a waste that, that doesn't have to be a waste similar to your wood chips, right? There's, there's an opportunity with your burn piles. There's an opportunity with, you know, all of the, the aspects of a tree. And, but you just have to invest in some ingenuity and, and some legwork to determine where's the business opportunity and the environmental opportunity because the two have to come together in, yeah. in, our, in our world. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a really great point. And that's a, a very good example of, of, you know, utilizing what used to be waste um, for something positive that has a better uh, environmental impact as well. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the understanding of a tree, a, the tree is one of the most amazing um, species in the world, in my opinion. It, it is truly a gift to you know, for recreational users, for people who just enjoy the beauty of it, you know, for your birds and, and your woodland creatures, for instance, but to humans, a tree, it just never stops giving, like it, you know, from housing to food, you know, to um, energy, it touches us in a way that, you know, so few products, I'm gonna, I shouldn't call it a product, but it ends up being a product, but so few products are associated back to one central source. And, and it really is um, pretty amazing. And, and the research continues, you know, that we're, we're interested in so many different ways to utilize this, this renewable resource, but only if we manage our resource well and, and through science and partnerships. And it's, uh, it's, it's exciting. And because it's exciting, you know, we need to look at how to get more people into our industry. You know, what the jobs that are available and the opportunities. And, you know, I was saying a bit earlier, like where you start is not where you end up in forestry. You know, you, 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 you're going in one direction, but there's so many opportunities for advancement and promotions. And that's exciting, I think, for somebody looking for a career. Um, because there's something for everyone. It's just like the forest. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even in my career, um, I started in working with my dad in, in high school. And then uh, after that, I had gone to forestry school and I ended up working at the, uh, it's now called the Center for Boreal Research in Peace River. Yeah. And uh, so at that time, I really wanted to pursue the environmental side of, uh, <clears throat> of the forest industry or just of 
of, of the oil and gas industry, the environmental side. And, and so I did that and, and I had a great time there, learned a lot. And, um, and then things kind of slowed down. That was right around the time that uh, um, Shell pulled out of Peace River and, and uh, there was a lot of downturn in jobs and that aspect and stuff. So I was able to go to my dad's company at that time and, and started having their boots on the ground in the forest industry doing traditional forestry work, cut block layout, tree measurements, um, all the regular kind of stuff. And since then, I've been able to take that and, and move into business as well. So more heavy into growing a business. And then now as our organization has grown, we've been able to be able to have the opportunity to do both. So now we work heavily in the forest industry and we also work very heavily in the environmental aspect of the oil industry. Um, tying forestry to environmental initiatives is a very cool thing. So last year we, last year we planted 700,000 trees on oil and gas sites in Alberta. Um, so that was a very cool and project. Like, and even yeah. part of that, Brandon, like there had to have been, I'm going to say scarification, but there had to have been um, a way that you were managing the compaction of the soil and looking at the seeds so that you wanted to make sure, I'm guessing, that when you were doing that silviculture, the planting of the trees, that you were site preparing, which is a, yeah. a real science too. Yeah, yeah. And we're able to actually take, it goes so hand in hand between forestry and, and reclamation and oil and gas. Um, you can take the forestry practices it all depends on looking at your end goal, right? What is your end goal with this lease site? What is your end goal with this yeah. cut block that we're going to reforest? And and then also trying to understand the, the natural world and, and uh, what it was like before there was disturbance and what we want it to look like after. And is yeah. it going to be the same as before? Or are we going to adjust this a bit to meet these requirements or, or to help this specific species recover in this specific area? So... There's just so many factors. The nice thing about the forest, the boreal forest, is it's just it's always it's always moving, it's always interchanging, it's adjusting for climate, it's 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 always consistently um, ever evolving. So um, it's very cool to be part of help managing that. So I think so, and you really touch on something as well. I I don't know if many people recognize, but we work, our industry works so closely with other industries, utility industries, um, you know, oil and gas industries, agricultural industries, like we work hand in hand because we're all trying to reduce our footprint. So if we're gonna access, I'm gonna use, if we're gonna access a site or access the land base, we really look at um, if oil and gas, for instance, uh, are going to be in that area as well, we're going to try and you know share our resources so that we use the same roads or so that we you know if they're in there if they're in ahead of us we can come in behind them and we can do some of that reclamation like we're doing the best we can with technology and i love if people would ask us some questions about how we do that but by mapping everything together like where you know where they are where we are what we're going to do what they're going to do what we can do is reduce impact we can yeah. look at how to bring it back to natural yeah, for sure. I think integrated resource planning is, is a yeah. very big thing and it's something that that wasn't done as well in the past as it, as it is now and it's getting consistently better and it's something that multiple industries um, working together can really accomplish a lot. Uh, you touched on 
how forestry affects different industries. And you're right, like, um, you know, there's a government aspect of forestry. There's a firefighting aspect of forestry. There's reclamation and remediation. There's a biologist and wildlife aspect. There's a traditional forestry. Um, there's utilities. There's basically anything that you go to do in the land base in the boreal forest is, is in some way or another forestry is involved, whether that's logging the site to clean it up, whether that's putting it back to a forest, yeah. um, whether that's, yeah, whether it's logging it for farmland, whatever it may be, there's, it's yeah. always going to involve some level of forestry at some point throughout it. Well, and a big part of it is like the start of our conversation, we did a land acknowledgement, you know, and it is understanding who is utilizing um, land and, and who are we responsible to? Because forestry is responsible to stakeholders and rights holders. Like, you know, we have the privilege to work in Alberta on Crown land. So the Crown is, is the government essentially. Well, it is the government. So because we have the privilege to work on Crown land, the Crown is the public. So when we, when we go to do, um, you know, when we have a, a plan that we would like to do something in the forest, before we start anything, we start with a conversation. And, and the conversation needs to look at who is going to be impacted, who will have an interest in this. So we have something called VOITS. It's values, objectives, indicators, and targets. So we find out what, you know, the values within the forest. And, and if we're working with an Indigenous community, for instance, they will help us understand what's important to them and what needs to be protected from a squirrel midden. Um, that's if you walk in the forest, not mittens. Lots of people think I say mittens. There's squirrel midden. It's kind of where they, they store their food. To moose licks, um, like mineral licks, for instance. You know, it could be berries. It could be a traditional burial site. There's all sorts of things that are valuable. And we determine what the values are by working collectively, um, you know, and respectfully with our communities. And then what we do um, through these values and we set objectives and we manage our objectives. This is what we need to do. Here's our goals. And then we have indicators. How are we gonna prove it? Proof is everything. So we find out the values, we set the objectives, we have indicators and targets and we have to achieve it and report on it. And, and, and it takes a lot of people at the table throughout the entire process and it never stops it is truly a, a feedback loop that is, it's been successful. Yeah. What was the S, sorry? So for voids, it's just, yeah. it's actually, there isn't anything for S. It's just kind of a, a plural, values, objectives, indicators, and targets. But okay. But forestry is about proof. Um, you know, whether we're talking about sustainability, mitigation, land management, collaboration and partnerships. It's, it's the proof of the environment, social and governance. It's the ESGs. There is an acronym everybody hears, but the environment, social and governance, the triad of it forestry success is the balance of what we do. Um, and, and we're really interested in understanding more about, we would like people to understand more about what we do um, but we're certainly curious about what people think about us and if they're willing to have conversations so we can ex not just explain, but show, right? Explaining is easy, showing can be harder. So we'd like to show people what we do is, is uh, making a difference. We believe it's making a difference through the data that we, we have. Yeah. So 
yeah, so I, I know we've taken, we've been chatting for, for quite some time. I could talk about this forever, um, <laughs> but I think every time I, like on your podcast, your guests, um, I think have the same level of passion and commitment that you and I do. Um, our industry, yeah. nobody goes into the forest industry. Very few people, I can't say it absolute, um, but very people go into the forest industry because we love the environment. We love the forest. You know, I'm an avid outdoors person. Um, it's, I live in Northern Alberta. I love where I, I am and I want my daughter to grow up here and enjoy it like I do. So we were in it um, to win it. And, and the winning is doing the right thing um, now so that the future is not so negatively impacted. Yeah, so, that's awesome. Well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I love it. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm super chatty about it because, you know, I've spent 30 years absolutely loving speaking to people and understanding people and the fact that everything about forestry is about connecting. You know, I'm pretty lucky to have the job I have. Yeah, that's awesome. I uh, really appreciate all of your insight today. Um, I have multiple pages of, of notes that I took. And uh, so, yeah, I, no, that's awesome. I The reason I love doing these podcasts so much is because I get to understand other people's perspectives. I get to ask questions. I get to um, really just to, just learn. Um, I like having, I've had quite a few people with, with wealth of knowledge in, in a specific area and, and uh, being able to hear from them and, and, and learn and then hopefully educate our viewers if, if we can start getting this, this information out to um, not just people in the industry but in, into the hands of the public where they can start to really understand a bit more about the industry and what we do and, and yeah. the values that we try to um, that we try to look out for when we're planning um, and to hear from them I, you know we're we're at you know we, we talk at people but I'm really interested in hearing from people I think yeah. you know if we're talking about you know values and beliefs I'm I really do want to understand more about people's values and beliefs and how we can collectively maybe move forward, not agreeing on everything, um, but certainly listening and responding and, and trying to improve. That's a continuous improvement. It's the, it's the balance of ESGs. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again for attending. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode of industry talks with Vortech and, uh, yeah, have a, have a great rest of your day, Amber. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye.